Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 2. Uther Pendragon Britain was in a terrible state. The rightful King Constans had been raised to the throne and then murdered by Vortigern and his Pictish allies. The usurper had killed poor Constans and made himself king, but he had needed help from the Saxons in order to quell the revolts by the Picts. The Saxons had proved worse than the Picts and taken over the land. Vortigern had heard the prophecy announcing the coming of King Arthur and, in terror, shut himself in his new castle, waiting to see what would happen next. The two brothers of Constans, Aurelius and Uther, grew up into strong young men. They dreamed of ruling the island of Britain, as was their right, and plans were put in place to make it happen. As soon as Aurelius was old enough to begin campaigning, he sought to regain the throne for the family of King Constantine. Vortigern trembled in his castle. The forces of Aurelius Ambrosius arrived on the shores of Britain. Aurelius, of course, was welcomed by the people of Britain. They hadn't been too pleased with Vortigern as their leader, and they were even less pleased to have the Saxon Hengist in control, destroying their cities and knocking down their churches. Aurelius was hailed as the rightful king, and the Britons prepared for battle. Aurelius decided to deal with Vortigern before taking on the Saxons, and he took his army over to the new castle. After trying to take it, they decided not to bother, and simply burned it down with Vortigern in it. The man who had tried to be king through trickery and deception for so long was finally defeated. Aurelius turned his attention to the Saxons. Hengist saw that Aurelius was advancing with an army. The Saxon leader was too clever to let his army be beaten in a few small battles, so he withdrew to the north of England with all of his men and prepared for one large battle. His troops, he knew, were better armed and stronger than the Britons, and Hengist was very confident of victory. Aurelius, just as confident, marched north to face his real foes. Many battles were fought before the final conflict. Aurelius and his forces were weaker, but they were reminded, maybe by Merlin, that the Saxons had killed 460 of their best men near Salisbury. The Britons gained more courage and a terrible battle was fought. Despite losing many more men, Aurelius and his army won. Hengist was beheaded and the Saxons were defeated. After many long years, the foggy island on the edge of the world was ruled again by the people who lived there. The king was a Briton and the island of Britain was free. Aurelius travelled to Salisbury and wept at the bones of the dead who had been slain by Hengist and his men. Merlin told him what to do. The king of Britain took the wizard's advice and erected a memorial in their honour by bringing in vast stones from the west. This memorial still stands on the plain near Salisbury today and we know it as Stonehenge. Soon after, Aurelius ordered that all of the churches were rebuilt. Aurelius Ambrosius was a great king but even great kings have their enemies. Poor Aurelius was killed at Winchester by the treachery of a Saxon called Iopa. The man who had reunited Britain and driven out the Saxons was dead. The Saxons and the sons of Vortigern all tried to take advantage of the death of the king. They might have been successful, but greater forces were at work. A comet appeared in the skies over Britain with the mouth of a dragon at its end. The people saw one end of the comet dive towards the Irish Sea and split into seven parts. The other end dove into Gaul. Uther, brother of Aurelius, and all the people of Britain dreaded what it might mean. 
Merlin told everyone who would listen what the appearance of the comet meant. No need to worry, he said. Aurelius Ambrosius is dead, but you, noble Uther, will be king of all Britain. The comet represents you, and the other rays tell of your son. He will be the mightiest king ever known, and will unite this land of ours in glory. Many other kingdoms will obey him. For the second time, Merlin had predicted the coming of the great King Arthur. Uther took this very seriously. He was immensely pleased that he was destined to be king of Britain, and proud that his son would be even greater. He vowed he would do whatever it took to make sure it happened. Most of all, he vowed he'd listen to Merlin. Clearly this wizard guy knew what he was talking about. In order to celebrate the appearance of the comet and the prophecy, Uther had two dragons made out of pure gold. One he gave to the city of Winchester, and the other he carried with him in battle. He was never without it. Because of this, he became known as Uther Pendragon. At last came the time for the final battle between the Britons and the Saxons. Uther Pendragon raised a huge force from all across the land, and all of the kings and princes of Britain were with him. He sought advice from many, but particularly from King Gorlois of Cornwall. Taking the Cornishman's advice, Uther attacked with all of his forces. The Britons won a tremendous victory, and completely eliminated the Saxon threat. Uther Pendragon was, of course, very pleased. And he turned out to be a quite excellent king. He brought all of the people of that foggy island under his command. He even managed to bring the wild people from the north of Scotland into his kingdom. And he did it by talking and negotiating, not by force. He showed there was justice for everyone within his kingdom, and everyone supported him. Nothing surely could go wrong. Surely there would be no arguments and conflict now. Well, there was, and there wasn't. There could have been a terrible conflict, but a handy death prevented it. The trouble was King Gorlois of Cornwall, or more accurately, his wife. Actually, this isn't accurate either. The trouble was King Uther. You see, Uther when he met the wife of King Gorlois, fell immediately in love with her. He didn't just fall in love with her a bit, he fell head over heels, and he promised himself that she must become his wife. Unfortunately, there was a small matter of Gorlois. Their marriage was happy, and they had three daughters, Morgors, Elaine, and Morgan. The youngest daughter has come to be known as Morgan le Fay. Uther consulted with two of his knights, Sir Ulfius and Sebrastius. Poor old Gorlois, though, solved the problem pretty quickly by getting himself killed in battle. Uther Pendragon might have seen this as his chance, but his chance soon evaporated. Gorlois' wife, who was called Egrain, was so distressed by her husband's death that she shut herself up in a tower, vowing never to come out. So, Uther was a bit stuck. But, and it was a big but, he had one thing on his side. What is it that you need when things are not going your way? Who is there that can help you? Yes, what you need is a very good wizard, and Uther had one. He went to see Merlin and asked the sorcerer to make Egrain fall in love with him. And did it work? Well, yes, of course it did. Uther went to see Merlin. Merlin, he said, the Queen Egrain is by far the fairest in the land, and I am the High King. It is only right she should be my wife. But she shut up in that tower. How can I get her down and make her mine? Easy, said Merlin. She will be yours tonight. But there is one thing you must do for me. You and the Lady Egrain will have a long and happy marriage, but you are only destined to have one son. 
That son will be a king greater than you and will unite many of the peoples of Europe, but only if you help make it happen. As soon as your son is born, you must hand him over to me and I will find him a home. Only 16 years later will the land of Britain know they have a great new king. If you want to hold on to your throne, great Uther, then this you must do. Uther didn't ask any more questions. That night he went to the room of his new love and appeared as if he was King Gorlois. The lovely Egrain, of course, accepted him, and that night they became man and wife. Nine months later, Egrain gave birth to a son. Uther Pendragon had ruled over a peaceful land for his time as king, and he knew he must do as the wizard had asked. Sadly, he gave his first child with Egrain over to Merlin. Merlin had everything planned. The baby was christened and given the name Arthur. Then he was taken and given to a great and faithful knight who was told to bring the boy up as his own son. The knight was called Sir Ector, and he was given his instructions by Merlin himself. He took the child into his household and told everyone that he was indeed his son and the brother of his elder boy, whose name was Kay. Merlin did not tell Sir Ector who the child was. Sir Ector had no idea he was going to bring up the future King of Britain. Many years later, the King of Britain became very ill. Octa, son of Hengist, and a relative of his named Eosa, were informed of Uther's sickness and came to the conclusion this was a good time to attack. They arrived accompanied by a huge army of men in a great fleet. Uther, being too ill to lead the Britons against the Saxons, handed command of the British troops to one of his most valiant supporters, King Lot of Orkney. Lot led the troops well and kept the Saxons at bay. He didn't manage to get rid of them completely, though. Uther Pendragon, grateful for the efforts of King Lot, allowed him to marry one of Egrain's daughters, a girl called Morgors. She and her children we will hear about later in our story. Egrain's next daughter, Elaine, was married to King Nentris of the land of Garlot. The third daughter, Morgan, was still young. She was sent to a nunnery to be educated, and later married King Uriens of Gore. After a little while, poor sick Uther was also cross. He thought he could have done a better job in the war against Octa and Yosa. He demanded to be carried in a small carriage to the battlefield so that he could lead his men himself. The Britons, worried for their king's safety, but also too scared to refuse, did as they were told. Octa and Yosa thought it was hilarious when they heard the sick king was coming in a carriage to fight them. This caused them to make a grave mistake. They refused to fight, saying they weren't going to let their men go into battle against someone who was already half dead. They retreated behind the walls of Verulam, the city we now know as St Albans, and laughed loudly. Uther Pendragon was now in a blind rage. Between bouts of horrible sickness, he commanded his men to lay siege to the city. The Saxons were surprised, but still thought an army led by a man who couldn't stop throwing up could not beat them. They prepared for an easy battle. They didn't get one. The Britons were inspired by their vomiting king and stormed into the city. A fierce conflict ensued which carried on until it got dark. In the very early morning the Saxons decided that fighting a very ill king was actually very necessary and they marched out to have a proper battle with the British forces. It was indeed a proper battle but the Saxons were no match for Uther's men. Sir Ulfius and Sebrastius, the best of Uther's knights, fought bravely and successfully. Octa and Diosa were both killed along with many of their men. The surviving Saxons ran away and fled back to Germany. 
the British victory was magnificent. As usual, under these circumstances, it was a treacherous deed which sealed the fate of Uther Pendragon. A little while after the battle with Octa and Diosa, the Saxons were back. Poor Uther was still ill and resting at Verulam. A well in the city was poisoned, and many who drank the water died. King Uther had drunk some, but although it made him even more ill, he didn't die. In fact, he received a visitor. King of Britain, said Merlin, you will not live for much longer. Tomorrow I will tell all of the lords of Britain to come here and listen to you talk. You will tell them that your son Arthur is alive in this kingdom and that he will be the high king of these lands. As soon as they can be sure who he is, they must serve him as their king. Uther nodded. The next day the lords and barons assembled, and Uther told them they must be faithful to Arthur. They solemnly agreed. Uther Pendragon, with his last deed done, lay down and died. He was buried within the stones of Stonehenge, next to his brother Aurelius. There was consternation on the island of Britain. All of the lords and barons had sworn to serve Arthur, but nobody knew where he was. And even if someone knew where he was, how could they prove he was the son of Uther? It had been fifteen years since the small baby had been taken away from Uther and Egrain. No one knew what the boy looked like, or even if he was alive. Now, what usually happens in these situations? Do the lords and barons get together and search for the rightful king? Do they do everything in their power to make sure they carry out the dying wishes of the last king? No, of course not. They plot. They do everything they can to make sure that they are the ones who come out on top. Each of the powerful men of Britain decided that he should be king. They all raised armies in order to win the crown. None of them wanted to believe that Arthur existed, and before too long they decided that a young man shouldn't be leading them anyway. The Saxons looked on happily. Soon, they thought, they would be in with a good chance of invading yet again. Merlin saw the danger. He travelled to Canterbury to see the Archbishop, the most powerful churchman in Britain. He knew the lords and barons would have to listen to the Archbishop, and so he told the churchmen what to do. The leading men of the island were summoned to London at Christmas. On Christmas Eve, all of the greatest lords of the land met at the great cathedral. The Archbishop prayed they could be given a sign which told them who should be king, so they could stop arguing about it. The next morning, Christmas morning, their prayers were answered. In the courtyard of the cathedral was a large squarish stone. From the stone protruded the handle and about half the length of a sword. The other half of the sword was plunged into the stone. Written in gold on the stone were these words. Whoever can pull this sword from this stone is the rightful king of Britain. The lords and barons looked at each other. Clearly, here was the moment of truth. One of them decided he would be the first to try. Nervously, he stepped forward and took hold of the sword handle. And then he began to pull. Next time, we'll see if he, or indeed anyone else, can pull the sword from the stone. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.